The following podcast contains explicit language. Hello and welcome to Mom and Dad are Fighting, Slate's parenting podcast for Thursday, October 4th, the birthday parties and birthday suits edition. I'm Dan Coyce. I'm a writer and editor at Slate. I'm the author of How to Be a Family, and I'm the dad to Lyra, who's 14, and Harper, who's 12. Hi, I'm Jamila Lemieux, a writer and mother to Naima, who is six and a resident of Inglewood, California. Like, for real, for real, a resident of California. <laughs> Congratulations. I'm Rebecca Lavoie. I'm a journalist and podcaster in New Hampshire, and I am mom to Henry, who is 18, Teddy, who is 16 and a half, and my stepdaughter, Lily, who is 19. Today on the show, we've got a question from a mom wondering if her kids are too old to shower with her, and another mom whose ex is not going to pay for the birthday parties. Plus, triumphs and fails, recommendations, and really just a shit ton of announcements. First, we got some triumphs and fails. Rebecca, you want to kick us off? Sure. I have a triumph that I will attribute to past me uh, because I cannot take credit (laughs) for today, but I can give myself credit for it a year ago. Yay me. Uh, I learned on Twitter yesterday, and by the way, I want to give the people who do this credit because it's a very clever way to roll it out. I learned on Twitter that it is FAFSA time, and anybody with a kid who is college age, college ready, applying to colleges or in college knows that every year you have to fill out this giant, onerous federal financial form called the FAFSA, which basically determines your eligibility for financial aid, but also scholarships. Also, even if you're not eligible for anything, you still have to do it. And when you have a, um, as we like to joke, a broken home here and you have multiple people who have to log in and do it. It's a huge pain because like the last person who logs in has to like generate a password key that they then pass to the next person who's going to log in. It's this whole thing. So I saw that on Twitter yesterday. I went to the site, got all panicky and I was like, ah, crap. I'm like the worst at this. I know my ex-husband's going to like totally have his stuff together. And my son is totally going to have his stuff together. I'm a mess. And then I went to my little folder on my computer where I sort of have my stuff from 2018 or whatever, and I discovered that 2018 me had anticipated that 2019 me would feel this way and had already put everything I would need in 2019 into a folder ready to be uploaded to the FAFSA. The only thing I need to do is like a bank statement, but like I actually made a folder that says, and I quote, stuff you will need for 2019 FAFSA. So huge triumph to 2018 me who anticipated that 2019 me would panic about this stupid thing and that put everything in place that I would need. And so I am going to resolve as 2019 me to uh, you know roll it forward to 2020 me and like allay my next year's anxiety by doing the same. But I'm really proud of past self, Rebecca. Um, really That's good amazing. job, past self, Rebecca. Yeah, yeah. Huge triumph for me. I completely forgot about it, of course, because it's how my brain works, which is why I did it, I'm sure. Um, but yeah, I feel like really excited about this FAFSA thing now in a way I did not yesterday. That's fantastic. The FAFSA is an enormous pain in the ass, I remember, from my college days. Um my dad and I back in those days would joke that both F's were for fucking. Um, <laughs> we hated it so much. Uh, but uh, I like I'd like to give it to you not only for the preparation, but also for your great metadata. Like you made that a thing you could find and you ID'd it in a way that would be useful to future you. Mm-hmm. Like that's yeah. great. That's just like great tagging. Yeah, like I know how stupid I am. I put a plan in place. <laughs> I mean, I'm stupid in that way. And I didn't make it something that like, well, I mean, yeah, I think the stuff you will need. And I actually put it in my 20, I put it like in exactly the right place. I was like, where will future me go to look for these mysterious documents? And I put it right there. So yeah, I don't know. Whatever I did, I'm going to try to replicate it. Uh, I mean, the good news is for those of you who are doing the FAFSA for the first time, um, you only need stuff from like a year ago. So it does not, you don't have to do anything for 2019. It's all stuff you already have that you use to file your taxes for 2018. It's just like old ass stuff that is just usually not all in the same place. So um, yeah, it sucks, but I'm prepared. Great job. All right, Jamila, what about you? Do you have a triumph or a fail this week? I have a big triumph. I live in California. I actually live here in the same state as my daughter. I am here. I don't have an apartment in New York. I live in LA. 
it's done. I think I used this as a triumph before because I'd like signed a lease, <laughs> but it counts for real now because I live here. Now, do we have any of our? Th- <laughs> I think you did. Do we have any of our stuff there? No. Are we staying at the Sheridan by the airport? Yes, but <laughs> we. I live here. When I come back, I'm going to a destination wedding tonight, um, and and leaving for a week. And when I return. I will be returning to my Inglewood, California home where my child and I will reside. And I dropped her off at school today for for picture day and she looked absolutely adorable. Her hair is down. It's probably going to be completely insane by the time I pick her up this evening. But she's happy. Mommy's here. We're almost all the way intact. As soon as I get back from this wedding, we'll be a family again for real. Living in the same place 50% of the time. Can I ask a question about picture day? Yes. What uh, time during the day are they doing the pictures? Did they tell you? They didn't. And at her school last year, it was in the morning. um, And we were actually able. It was funny because, like, you know, after she was in kindergarten and after pre-K at a lot of places, you can't walk them to the door. You have to just or you can't walk them to class. You just have to leave them in the lunchroom or at the door or whatever. But they allowed us to, like, be there and groom. It's a very New York thing. Like, you could be there and groom your kids, which I did. And I coached her and the pictures still came out so awful. We didn't order them, despite the fact that she was super adorable when she came in. But she had a bad attitude by the time the pictures were taken. So today, I don't know, because she was in a great mood. Her hair looked beautiful. I put it in two braids as we rode to school and took them, or I mean, before we left for school and took them down in the car and it's bouncy and neat and pretty. And I'm terrified for what it's going to look like come picture day, partially because, and no offense to her teacher, she's a lovely woman, but Naima has her first white teacher this year. And I don't know that she knows what to do if there's like, a hair situation. <laughs> I don't know if she's going to step in and handle it. I-, I hope my baby doesn't have like one errant curl just like atop her head. I- hopefully somebody steps in and helps her. Maybe her teacher can because she's been teaching in this area for a while. So hopefully it-, it it hopefully they took the picture already is what I'm saying. <laughs> you can really, <laughs> on my, all of my done. kids' school pictures, you can really track <laughs> on a picture by picture basis. You can basically sort of peg exactly what time during the day the picture was taken by how unruly and insane my children look like there's like a a stark difference between a morning picture and an afternoon picture they all need to be in the morning but the the problem is you know they've got first through i guess sixth graders there so i don't know or or fifth grade rather so i don't know you know i'm I'm hoping they prioritize the babies because the fifth graders can go and like press their hair and do their nails and makeup and all that stuff because they're like grown-ups but the babies they should have snapped them the second they walked in the door all right well if uh the picture looks insane again next week you've got to fail you can deliver to us (laughs) well the pictures i took on the way there were so good that if the picture comes out terrible i'm just going to print those out and send them to our family yeah yeah, that's it's time um all right i have a fail this week um uh, so uh lyra is um in her first year of high school uh which overall has been going okay um she has been very nervous about it but academically she's doing all right um she's like feeling comfortable in the space. She has teachers who seem to be supporting her. But um, one of her big goals this year that she discussed with us a lot and we discussed with her a lot and she's discussed with many of the support people in her life um, was to participate more, um, to find activities that she likes and to participate to participate in those activities and use them as a way of making friends. Because as we I have discussed many, 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 many times on the show, making friends is hard for adults and for kids. Uh, But one problem with this is that Lyra doesn't like participating, like as a rule, like she's, uh, you know, she's an introvert and she gets really worn out by the time a school day is over. And so the idea of like doing a thing after school is often very onerous to her and she becomes convinced that she won't like it. Um, and even though she, often when she ends up doing a thing, she ends up enjoying it, it can be really hard for her to work herself up to just fucking do the thing. Um, and so we often find ourselves sort of having to like rally her into those things um, and sometimes succeeding and sometimes failing. So anyway, this year, um, the other week, she auditioned for the fall play uh, at her school, which is just like a silly 
like zombie themed variety show. It seems like with some skits and some uh, like dance numbers. I'm sure they'll do the thriller number despite everyone's um, dearest wishes. Um, but she tried out for it and um, <laughs> she made it to callbacks. And then she got cast, which was very exciting, you know, for a freshman to get cast. And she got cast in a very small freshmanish role uh, as one of the people in the chorus, presumably one of those zombie dancers in the back of the thriller dance. Um, and then the teacher <laughs> sent home uh, like a little packet for people cast in the play and it included this contract laying out the expectations for kids who were in the play, which were a lot. Uh, to my eyes, there was like a normal amount of expectations for being in a play, right? You you rehearse every day. You can't skip rehearsals because that fucks other people. You show up to the play. You don't miss the show, et cetera. Um, but Lyra ha- just hated that. She just hated that idea of signing that contract and committing to rehearsals after school every day from now until like, you know, mid-November. Um, and I was out of town that day, the day the contract um, came home. I was in San Francisco on the book tour and I got on the phone with Lyra and she was just like, absolutely not. I'm absolutely not doing this. I don't want to do this. She just thought it was too much work. She thought it was too hard. She, she went on this whole thing about how I don't want to do it, you know, just to be in the chorus, which I won't even like. And my fail is that I just could not convince her to do the thing. I tried really hard. Like I had all kinds of great arguments. Um, I explained about how, you know, when you're a freshman, you just got to start in the small roles. That's why the seniors have the big roles because they did small roles when they were freshmen and they worked their way up to it. I talked about how when you're part of doing a show, right, the responsibilities don't feel onerous. They don't feel like hard work because you're having fun working together with people to make this theatrical magic happen. I talked about how this could solve like the exact problem she wants to solve the most. This problem, which I think is uh, not unique to teenagers of like, what do I say to this person right now? Right. How do I make friends with this person? What do I have to talk about with this person? Because when you're in a play with people, you always have something to talk about. There's always – you always have the play to talk about. Um, but it didn't work. She was upset, and I was in San Francisco, and I couldn't do it. And um, hmm. and my failure felt – Is it too late? It's too late, yeah. I mean, so it's she. It's oh. the decision is made. Um, and it was worse, too, I think, for her and for me because this is something that – like I understand, right? The theater is something that matters to me. It's something that I love. It was my route to having friends after years of not having friends when I was in high school. Like I understand not only the process of making theater, but the way that it can like jumpstart you socially when that's what you actually desperately want. So it made me more upset that she went into this argument, sort of just assuming that there was no possible way she could enjoy this and it would definitely be too much. And so I lost the argument. And so she's... um. She's going to do stage crew, which is like fine. Um, you do it, you know, you do one or two days a week. Um, but I just like dream of a world where somehow I won this argument and she tried it and she loved it and she made those friends and she had that experience. And I don't know, maybe it wouldn't have happened like that at all. Like maybe she would have tried it and hated it, just like she said, and no one talked to her. And she she isn't a theater person because she is different from me. Um but I kind of think she would have loved it. And I wish that I had been there that day and that I had corralled my argument a little bit better and I had had more time to talk through it with her and that I could have convinced her. So that's my fail. Hmm. I mean, I think that in the end, she will. if she's in the stage crew, she will get to see what it is she didn't do and she will have a better perspective on it. I mean, she's not completely detached from mm-hmm. the play. True. This is very similar. I mean, Teddy Teddy got involved in theater the same way and he got a tiny part. He was going to quit. Uh, he decided to keep doing it. I think his teacher convinced him or something, but it certainly wasn't us because we can't convince him of anything. And he ended up completely loving it. You're right. It's like, even if it's, it is a very bonding experience, it's a very bonding experience, but I will say that when he didn't want to do the play, he likes the musicals, but not the plays, he did tech. And that convinced him that maybe I should do the play next time because like he saw, you know what I mean? Right. 
So that's my hope. I, I think ultimately it's good though that that she did get her way. It is good for kids to get their way sometimes, even if it comes with regrets later. You know, she gets her way so often. I know she doesn't think so. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's uh, talk some business. I got a lot of business today. Um, you, dear listener should sign up for Slate's parenting newsletter. It is uh, the best place to be notified about everything that Slate does about parenting. Obviously, new episodes of the show, uh, new columns from Karen Feeding, including from our beloved Jamila, um, Ask a Teacher, everything else that we do about um, parenting on Slate.com. Plus, it's just like an email that I write uh, to people every week. Uh, (laughs) And you just get it. It just shows up in your email inbox, and it's from me, and it's usually some dumbass story about my kids but like one time it was a i just like sent a dispatch from the climate march it was very exciting it was like journalism anyways it's i think that it's fun and you can sign up for it at slate.com slash parenting email uh if we get over five thousand signups i think that they will agree to pay my salary as always if you have a question you'd like us to answer on the air leave us a message at 424-255-7833 or You can email us at momanddad at slate.com and have your question read by Shasha Leonard. Plus, check us out on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting on Facebook. It is a very nice community full of very nice parents who very quickly report anything, even the tiniest bit controversial or objectionable. And half the time when people report stuff, I'm like, you know what? That's fine. And I leave it up on the site. But then half the time, it's something really awful. And then I just delete it right away and kick the person out. Um, anyways, it's a nice community and people ask good questions. I like it. I am um, heading back out on the road. Uh, listeners, mom and dad are fighting listeners. Please come out and meet me. The real joy of the first week of book tour was meeting just a shitload of mom and dad are fighting listeners, um, all of whom Anyone who came up to me and said, I've been listening to the show forever, they got me, I signed the exact same thing in their book, which was Dan is better than Allison. Mm-hmm. Um, so please come out and meet me. I would love to meet you. Uh, I will be in Milwaukee, my hometown, this Saturday, October 5th. I will be in Hayes, Kansas, Thursday, October 10th. And I will be in Maplewood, New Jersey, Wednesday, October 23rd with Allison Benedict, the one and only. We will be fighting in person once again. It'll be amazing. A mom and dad reunion. Um, You can find details on that Slate Parenting Facebook page. It's in the events calendar. On Slate Plus today, we are talking about separation anxiety. What do you do when you all of a sudden get overwhelmed by it? We're going to share some stories and talk each other through a little bit of that, that anxiety. Here's a quick sneak peek of what you would hear were you only a member of Slate Plus. You know, he's doing fine. He's just not sure he picked the right school. He's having this like big, like existential, I worked so hard and now I'm here and it's just this kind of crisis. And I have been like a fucking mess ever since I learned that he's not 100% happy. To hear segments like that and get ad-free podcasts, sign up for Slate Plus. That's our membership program. It is a great way to support Slate.com and all that we do for just $35 for your first year. You can help cover the cost of producing this very show and other lesser shows. And of course, in return, you will get extended ad-free versions of this show and the other shows and a ton of other great benefits. So support mom and dad are fighting. Go to slate.com slash mom and dad plus and join slate plus today. (gasps) Onward. We've got two listener questions today. Uh, This one was emailed to us at mom and dad at slate.com and is being read, of course, by the one, the only Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I'm a mom to three boys, ages six, three, and nine months. My three-year-old son often requests to shower with me when I get home from my morning run. My husband says he, and thus also my six-year-old, are now too old to see me naked. They should only see him, their same-sex parent, naked. What do you think? What age is too old for kids to see their parents, opposite sex, and or same-sex, naked? For reference, I was raised in a house full of women, by a single mom, and we were pretty blasé about nudity. My husband was raised in a traditional household, mom, dad, two sons, and he said he never, ever saw his mom naked. He does recall fondly peeing around the toilet with his dad and his brother. I want to raise my kids to be comfortable with their bodies. I want them to understand that our bodies are flawed and also beautiful, and that nudity in the privacy of one's home is nothing to be ashamed of. I think a mom avoiding nudity with her young sons can imply there is something shameful about a woman's nude body. My husband disagrees. 
He thinks it's simply inappropriate. Your sage advice on this topic would be greatly welcomed. Many thanks. Mom trying to raise body positive kids. Here's a short answer, in my opinion. I'm very interested to hear what you guys have to say. If you want to be naked around your sons, be fucking naked around your sons. It's your fucking body. Tell your like prudish husband to get over it. So like the long answer is <laughs> this husband's logic makes no fucking sense. <laughs> like why him and not you? Why should sons be naked with fathers and daughters be naked with mothers? Like what, what is the logic behind that? It, is it like extremely heteronormative? Is he assuming that his sons are straight? And so he's, you know, nipping any early sexual interest in a, an opposite sex body in the bud, which A is weird because they're six, three and nine months and B, you don't know they're straight and C it's dumb anyway. And like that. So like logically it doesn't make any sense at all. Uh, but also it's your body and they are your kids. And if you would like to be the mom who is upfront about her body with her kids up to whatever age you want to be upfront about your body with your kids, then you should do that. That is my feeling on this matter. What do you guys think? I agree. I almost don't even have anything else to say. And I, I too was raised <laughs> in a, like, I also was raised in a house where with a single parent, uh, my mother and I'm a girl. And, you know, so I, I've never seen my father naked. Um, my daughter he has seen her younger brother nude. They take baths together. I don't think there's anything unnatural about... I, I think it's good that they have the opportunity to see what an opposite sex body looks like in such familiar terms with someone you love and, and trust. And that the first time you're not introduced to a nude body, it, it's not through, you know, maybe something you shouldn't be looking at on the internet or, or something on television or in a movie or, you know, God forbid, somebody, you know, forcing you to look at them. Um, under less than pleasant situate uh, circumstances. So, yes, this is healthy and normal. Dad, stop being weird. <laughs> Thank Dad you. Is, he's weird, right? He is Rebecca, weird. Think? I think he's being a little weird, but also I think that. Um, so there is a thing that happened. So I have two sons, and I was naked around them all the time when they were little. I really didn't think a whole lot about it. Uh, and then one day, I just remember, like, it started getting weird. Oh, may and, and like, not weird in a sexual way. Weird, like, in a, I really don't want to fucking answer questions about my breasts while I'm just trying to take a shower. Weird, like, it just got to the point where it was like creating like conversations that I just, you know, didn't have time to have or just didn't feel like having or wanted to have in a different context. But the kids were like, I don't want to say like seven, eight, something like that. I don't know, a little bit older. Um, there is an age where curiosity and sort of sense of autonomy over bodies happens. And you might choose at that age to change your approach because, you know, frankly, it's just kind of a pain in the ass to keep having the same conversations over and over again, or because you want to reframe them. But if you are comfortable and they are comfortable and everyone involved in the actual naked slash viewing arena is comfortable, then it's fine. It's when discomfort set, sets in that it's time to make a change. And it doesn't sound like you're there. And it sounds like your uh, husband is there for arbitrary reasons. And this whole like same sex nudity thing, like, I don't know, this is it kind of gets me back to like, when we've debated on the show, we've talked about circumcision before and like how a big argument that dads make uh, for circumcision is because I want my son to look like me, as if like, that's a thing like, you know, walking around right. your whole life and like whipping it out in public and being like, don't we look alike? Uh, but yeah, it's just like, I, I just tend to think that some people and I hate to say dads, but in my opinion, in my experience answering questions on the show, it really does seem to be dads who have more issues with this stuff. And I think that's an interesting uh, thing. And I think he's wrong. And I think you should just uh, be as naked as you want, as long as you and your kids are comfortable. But yes, I do think you should be sensitive to the fact that at some point they may start, you know, having feelings about privacy and uh, comfort. And, you know, you should also follow those signals and take them as opportunities to start conversations or change what you're doing or maybe not. But again, it is kind of up to you. I'm on board with Dan's answer here. Yes, that like that whole thing of like, well, you know, guys just love peeing together, crossing the streams, but we would never <laughs> see a, a girl's gross body like that drives me insane. Like that, like this idea that like some aspect of manhood depends on this like pairing seems absolutely bananas to me, whether it comes in the context of that circumcision question or this nudity question, like. 
that I just don't get that at all. Um, and look, there are plenty of families where what feels right to parents is that they're just not naked in front of their kids after like babyhood. Like that's just the way that family is. There are plenty of like crunchy families where the parents and kids like still into adulthood, like sit on European topless beaches or whatever, smoking cigarettes. I don't know. But like there's surely some middle ground and you have not reached the point, as Rebecca says, where you are uncomfortable. Your kids certainly haven't reached that point. I like Rebecca when my kids were little, was often naked in front of them during showers or in changing rooms one or during one um, naked dance party that still cracks me up to think about it. Um, and then maybe, a, you know, around age nine or so, we also just sort of stopped. You know, at some point, it also was like, I didn't want to answer that many questions. It got weird I for some reason. I was sick of them yeah. feeling like they – well, and also it's like I felt weird. I did not love – that they felt like they had this carte blanche to just like barge into the bathroom while I was like taking a shit. Like I didn't love that. Um, and like at some point I wanted, like I wanted a little more space um, and I had a hunch that they were going to be there soon. Although that is actually different with my kids. I have one who is still sort of a, an at home exhibitionist and one who is not. Um, but like then we just sort of phased it out and it, like it wasn't, weird or uncomfortable at that moment to phase it out either. Everyone was fine with it. Uh, and so like, I, I don't know that you need to have a big fight with your husband about this necessarily, unless he continues being like weird, but, uh, but you, you are allowed to say like, this is the kind of mom I want to be. And this, and a, it's important to me and B, even if it wasn't important to me for these like feminist reasons, it's also just what I want to do. And and the hosts of my favorite podcast said it was fine. So do it. Stop being weird, Dad. Stop it. Yeah, really. Like, l make him listen to the part where we reveal that he's weird. <laughs> I was like, if anything, there's the possibility of penis envy, you know, coming on down the line because this is a house full of, did, are the other children boys too, right? Like, there's dad. Like, I don't know. I feel like you might compare yourself to dad and, and wonder why you don't stack up or vice versa as opposed to being stressed <laughs> out over mom. So, why don't you keep Well, that's what too, dads dad? and sons talk about while they're peeing together. I see. That's just the number one topic of conversation is their dicks. I see, I see. <laughs> well, you all have fun with that. <laughs> uh, all right. Thank you. Thank you very much for reaching out. Uh, we hope we were somewhat helpful. Um, uh, we hope we did not break up your marriage. If you would like us to answer your question and be hopefully somewhat helpful to you as well, once again, email us at momadad at slate.com. That's where we received question number two. Once again, read by the inimitable Shasha Leonard. Dear mom and dad are fighting. I have a slightly larger amount of parenting time than my ex does, and as a result, he pays me child support. Without the stability of a second income in my home, I need this support from him in order just to make ends meet. I also got a new, higher-paying job this summer to help pay the bills, but even with that, and after cutting out all of the fat out of my budget, I'm still barely getting by. My ex recently informed me that he doesn't intend to help pay for our kids' birthday parties because that's what the child support is for. While I understand that no kid needs a birthday party and no parent is obligated to pay for one, I find this disappointing because it shows me that he doesn't appreciate the financial lurch he's left me and our kids in, nor does he value our children being able to celebrate birthdays and other major life milestones. So here's my question. If he's going to make me pay for these celebrations on my own when I'm already struggling, do I have to invite him? Part of me wants to be the bigger person for my kids and invite him so that he can be a part of these celebratory events. But part of me says that if he's not going to contribute, he doesn't need to be there. If I could leave him out of the planning and events altogether, it would certainly help preserve my sanity, if not my bank balance, but I don't want to do anything that could potentially jeopardize my relationship with my kids in the future if they find out that I was intentionally excluding their dad from things. What should I do? Thanks. All right. So I have so many feelings. First off, I appreciate that this listener laid out all of the circumstances around child support, the, uh, you know, having more parenting time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But I just want to say first and foremost, 
None of that matters in this uh, question and in the answer that I'm going to give you, because no matter what state you live in, uh, no matter what your circumstances are around your divorce, um, child support has actually a intended uh, purpose. And the intended purpose is not for the ex to tell you what it is you can and cannot use that money for. The intended purpose of child support is to even out financial inequity between two homes. It's intended so that kids, when they go from one house to another, uh, have less of a hugely disparate difference at those two places. So like that is the sort of uh, legal intention and the intention of child support just as a tool. So it really, really bothers me when I hear stories about exes dictating what the person receiving child support should and shouldn't be doing with that money, no matter what it is. Your example is obviously right sort of in that, for me, very easy area of, no, child support is not intended for you to be you know, paying for a luxury like a birthday party. A birthday party is something that's for the benefit of your kids. And absolutely, both parents should be contributing to that. And if one of them doesn't want to, then you have the party that you can have with the budget you have and you just leave it there. You know, yeah, that's just that's just what it is. He's wrong in this. And you may never be able to convince him otherwise unless there is some specific decree within your child support agreement that says child support can only be used for X, Y, and Z which I very much doubt there is. That's very unusual. Unless there is that specific decree, it is none of his business what you do or don't spend that money on. And he has no right to ask you that question. Uh, it's just it, That's just the way that it works. And it's the way it's intended to work. Second, yes, you should invite him to your kid's birthday party as much as you might be tempted to not want to. You don't have to involve him in the planning. You don't have to involve him in any of it. You can just give him the day and time, but you should absolutely invite him. And here's why. I can tell you from personal experience that the best decision I ever made after my divorce for years, even though it went against all of my instincts, was to treat my ex-husband the way I wished he was treating me. And what that means is being nice even when you don't want to, because that's how you uh, would want to be treated if he didn't want to be nice to you, you'd still want him to do it, right? So this is one of those great examples. He might show up, he might say, oh, that's a really small cake or whatever, whatever. And you just say, yeah, well, you know, that's that's the that's the birthday party that we could pull together this year, you know, whatever. Just like, let it, let it go. Don't say it's because you wouldn't pay for half. Don't say, I didn't even want to invite you, you jerk. Just invite him let him be the way that he is. You do not want to give him sort of the ammunition to be able to tell your kids that he was excluded. You also want to set the example for your kids that this really is about them. It's not about your fights about whether or not he should be contributing to the party, which, by the way, he should be. It's not about drawing battle lines. It's about birthdays being about celebrating their birth, having their friends over, uh, hanging out, watching a movie, eating popcorn and cake. That is what it's actually about. Keep your focus there. Treat your ex-husband with the kindness you wish he was affording you. And, and most important, you are absolutely not wrong that he is wrong around this child support thing. He's just wrong about it. Uh, if he says things to you like, you know what, you are responsible for buying the kids bicycles because I pay you child support, that is wrong. If he says you are responsible for paying all the fees for every field trip ever because I pay you child support, that is wrong. That is not what it's for and that it's not how it works unless it's specifically laid out that way. And I really, really hope that uh, you can get out of this pattern soon because this kind of shit is infuriating and it does not tend to go away. But if anything, you can take comfort in knowing you are not wrong to know that it's wrong. I, I am inclined to agree with Rebecca for the most part. Um, and, and we don't know the ages of these children, but I will say, well, one, I am always just incensed when I hear people, um, and it's oftentimes fathers or men advocating on behalf of fathers, be they celebrity fathers that they simply read about on blogs or, or men that, you know, exist in the hypothetical um, railing against child support or describing it as if it's, it's some sort of blessing that the mother gets, that we're able to live a lavish lifestyle and, and have extra things and go, you know, get our nails done and buy purses and, you know, or, or just spoil our children rotten because we're getting money from a former partner to help pay for the, the rearing of our child. 
And you typically receive child support when you are the custodial parent full time or if you are like this family, um, the, the parent who has the child more often than the other parent. Unless you have agreed to some sort of terms in which you're getting some sort of large excess of money, most parents and they're usually mothers that are receiving support are only getting enough to help out with the cost of raising the child full stop. So as Rebecca said, no, that that does not cover a birthday party. Now, I will admit that for the majority of my daughter's life, we had an agreement. We never went through courts. Um, we agreed to essentially for me to get what the courts would require of my former partner. And for the most part, I, I never asked for anything extra. You know, it, it didn't matter how short I have, may have been, you know, if I was broke, if there was something extra going on for the little one at school, I, you know, a birthday party, I didn't ask. I just, you know, I, I did my best to make things work. I felt like we had a, a good financial setup. And, you know, if, if I didn't have it, I didn't have it. I also did not invite my daughter's father to her first few birthday parties. She's had them every year. So she's had five of them thus far. They were her dad and stepmother were not invited to the first three. Um, It was at the fourth birthday where we had a different relationship. We went from being peaceful, you know, but not necessarily friends to being friends. And I felt comfortable having them there. I felt that because, especially in those first few years of her life, because the the birthday party guests were largely friends of mine, you know, because kids only have so many friends when they're two, um, that it wasn't necessary to have them there because I didn't want there to be any tension or awkwardness. You know, I I wanted it to be a happy, peaceful day. And we agreed to split it up um, so that, you know, her dad would pick her up from the birthday party because they weren't held at our home and they could celebrate, you know, her birthday the rest of that day or the day prior, or they could celebrate on her actual birthday. And I'd have the birthday party on a weekend day right after, you know, her birthday or something like that. I would maybe, uh, again, I don't know how old these kids are. I don't know how many birthday parties they may have already experienced as a quote unquote intact family. Um, But if they are young enough where not having dad at the birthday party wouldn't feel like a huge disruption, I would say maybe don't invite him, not because he's being a a jerk and he's not going to help pay for it. So you don't think that he's earned his slice of cake. But if you think there's a possibility for there being some problems, if him being there is going to stress you out so much, mom, that you're angry, that you're not able to enjoy yourself. And it's very hard to enjoy yourself at your kid's birthday party. Everyone else has a good time. The person who's responsible for the paying and the planning oftentimes doesn't have as much fun. Um, it, but if you think this is going to throw you off and, and make the experience less pleasant for you than it needs to be, then I would consider saying, let's have a conversation about how birthdays are celebrated. I'm going to do a small gathering. It'll be mostly my family and friends, you know, or my family and, and the little one's friends. And, you know, here's when you have your birthday time or when would be a good time for you to celebrate Marcy's birthday. I, I think that that's not unreasonable, especially because he doesn't seem to think that birthday parties... Um, I don't know. He he doesn't seem invested in himself. And for him to say that that's what child support is for, I think there's a, a hint of bitterness or contempt on his part about paying it um, or just a lack of understanding of the of the law and what it means. And you could present that information to him. But I think that this is, um, you know, I, I think that his feet are in the ground when it comes to this issue. I, I suspect that he didn't come up to that, you know, on the you know, he presented it to you. Like, I, I don't think that it doesn't, there's no reference to an upcoming birthday party. You know, it sounds like, and by the way, you know what I'm not paying for? Those birthday parties you insist on throwing every year. Um, So I think it's okay to say, you know, there are things we do with mom, there are things we do with dad. And if things get better in the future, then maybe that changes. Or, you know, and I do understand what Rebecca's saying about showing him the grace that he's not uh, sharing with you. Maybe do start with one birthday party and see, um, how he behaves, how you feel about having him there. And if it, you know, if it makes you uncomfortable, it makes you, you know, just feel bitchy and and not like the person who needs to be, that you need to be to get through a kid's birthday party, then maybe you say, you know what, Frank, next time, let, let's just do this separately. You have your birthday time and I have mine and you go on and do the birthday parties as you have. Uh, I'm very impressed with how wise both of you are, Rebecca. I'm Im- impressed with your 
wisdom about the actual way child support is meant to work and um and your grace in making this rule and sticking to it of treating your ex the way uh you uh yourself want to be treated even if you don't want to um but i was seriously like fuck this guy Fuck this guy. <laughs> yep. he doesn't get to go to this fucking birthday party mm. like why he doesn't give a shit about this birthday party he went out of his way to tell you he doesn't want to pay for a birthday party so he doesn't get to go to the fucking birthday party like fuck him i don't know i he just seems like a dick to me um and you know there are a lot of things missing from this letter right we don't know more a lot about what the relationship is like in general between her and her ex. We don't know the ages of the kids. We don't know if there are like other family events that he's regularly invited to. So it would be like glaringly obvious to everyone, including the kids and maybe upsetting to them if he's not there. Um, it's, I can't imagine you're on particularly good terms. If he like went out of his way to be like, I'm not paying for birthday parties for my children because that's what the child support is for. But maybe actually he's great. And he just said this one weird ass thing. I don't know. I feel like you're under no obligation to invite him to this birthday party. Um, I, however, I am very struck by the wisdom of Jamila's suggestion that there are ways to do this that aren't about um, my take of fuck you, buddy, but instead are about people can celebrate birthdays in both those families in different ways. And that can just be the ritual that you do. Like there's no law that the birthday party has to include everyone. There's no law that you can't have two parties. There's no law that you can't do two different things with your two parents. Um, in a situation where your financial straits are dire enough that a birthday party has become like a separate line item in your budget that you're worried about and that you might like need financial aid for like maybe going smaller and foregoing the bounce house or the DJ or the great zucchini or whatever um, is the way to go and make that party a more intimate thing with you and the kid and a couple of the kids, friends and a pinata as opposed to maybe the blowout where so many people are invited that the absence of the dad becomes a big deal. And then the dad to the extent that he cares about his children's birthdays can also do something for the children's birthdays on his own time. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, I'll tell you my personal story here is that the first couple of years after my ex and I got divorced, we did do parties together and then we decided we didn't want to because it was too fucking awkward and weird for us to be together <laughs> at these parties. Um, and so we did them separately. And actually, Jamila, when you said that, you know, I, I thought like that actually is a way that I would appreciate being treated in that situation. You know, you don't have to say, of course, it would be great if we were in a place where we could all be here together and have fun because it probably won't be fun for this mom. You're probably right. And I do think saying, hey, here are my plans. What day do you want to celebrate in your own way? is a great way to do it. And if his comeback is, no, there has to be a party and you have to pay for it because I did child support, then you have even more proof that you're dealing with a jerk and shouldn't worry about it, right? I think that was a really good answer, Jamila. Thank you. You know what I'm worried is going to happen? Is that she's going to be like, all right, well, we're going to do our little party. And then he's going to be like, all right, well, I hired an F-15 fighter jet. That might happen. And we're going to fly in the fighter jet. And uh, then we're going to meet Kobe. But you know I what? Know. <laughs> I don't that think he will. That might happen. And that that's okay. Kids actually are are fine with those kinds. I mean, this we we worry about those disparities way more than kids do in my in my experience. And you know what? Honestly, I don't think he will. Only because if he's saying that's what child support is before, he feels like he already paid for the fighter jet. So, you know, what I'm more worried about is him <laughs> shortchanging the kid with their birthday time. But hopefully, you know, he'll he'll pull it together one way or the other. All right. I'm very interested to hear what happens with this. Um, I hope that this letter writer writes us back and tells us what she eventually decides, because uh, I can really see both sides on this one, uh, despite me thinking, fuck this guy. Um, <laughs> well, wait, 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 wait. Can we just go back to that for a second, though? Because yeah. I think fuck this guy, too. I mean, let's be real. Fuck this guy. But this is also an incredibly common way 
for people to behave after they're divorced. Like I can tell you almost to a person, everybody I know who's been divorced has had some form of this conversation at some point of, I thought that's what child support was for. Oh, or like, oh, nice new car. I guess uh, maybe I'm overpaying my child support or, you know, like that kind of bullshit. It just crops up. It is a natural sort of component of post-divorce life and it fucking sucks, but that is the deal. And like, yes, fuck this guy. He's totally wrong. But it's also so easy for for like you or for me to say that. Mm-hmm. And I think that the long it's view- Extremely of, easy for me to say that. Exactly. And that the long view, like, I mean, I can tell you, I can point to the moments where I did not follow my own philosophy and, you know, actually said the thing that was in my mind at the time. And like in the long view, those are the moments that I actually feel the worst about. And I feel the best about the times where I tried to reach out to my ex and he was like, nope, not interested. And I was like, okay, well, at least like I have like the douchey satisfaction of knowing that I tried. <laughs> and that no is its own- No greater satisfaction. Yeah. I mean, it, that, that kind of smugness is its own fuck you in a way. It really can be. I mean, I <laughs> I, I, I really I really can't overstate it. Like being the better person, um, you don't have to weaponize it for it to actually be a very effective weapon that makes you feel stronger in the long run. All right. I hope that this was useful. I really do want to hear what happens. Um, it would be funny if it turns out there isn't like a birthday party for 11 months and you just are <laughs> preparing. Um, uh, but write us back and let us know, mom and dad at slate.com. Uh, and if you have a question, once again, email us, mom and dad at slate.com. Uh, give us a call, 424-255-7833. We want questions and we want to answer them because uh, otherwise, what do we have to fight about? Uh, let's do some recommendations. I will start recommendations today. Um, befitting my theater related fail, I'm going to recommend two plays. Uh, these are two plays that depending on where you live, you may have an opportunity to see over the next few years. Um, the first one is, uh, called the new one. It is Mike Birbiglia's latest one-man show. Um, you may know Mike Birbiglia from This American Life or um, his uh, show and movie Sleepwalk With Me or his Netflix specials. Um, the new one was in New York City last year. It played a long run off Broadway, and now he's touring it around the country. He was just in D.C. last week. Upcoming stops include Charlotte, St. Paul, and L.A., Jamila. Um, so this is a show uh, about... Uh, having a kid. It's about being ambivalent about becoming a parent in the first place uh, and then being extremely ambivalent once his kid, his wife actually has a kid. Um, it's very funny. Of course, he's an extremely funny guy, but it is also quite searching about what I view as um, like sort of a foundational problem of parenting, or at least a problem I have a lot, which is that you you just have to fucking do the right thing all the time, even when you just don't want to at all. I guess sort of tied, Rebecca, to your feeling that you just got to take the high road. Like it's hard to take the high road as a parent. It's hard to do what you have to do as a parent when you're exhausted all the time. Uh, and parents of new babies will definitely relate to that. Anyways, it's good. It's touring all over the place. I'm sure it will eventually be on Netflix. Uh, you should go to it with fellow parents or watch it when it comes out. The other show is called Fairview. It's by a playwright named Jackie Sibley's Drury. It won the Pulitzer Prize last year uh, when it was playing in New York at Soho Rep. Uh, It's now having its regional premiere at Woolly Mammoth in D.C. Uh, This is its final week, and then it's going to be all over. I mean, this is, you know, won the Pulitzer. People are programming this left and right. In the next few years, it's very likely it will be playing at a regional theater somewhere near you. Um, Like 10 seconds of Googling showed me that there are upcoming productions in Florida and in Charleston, and there's one in London. Um, Whenever it comes to your town, whenever you have the chance to experience this show, uh, see it and, and bring a teenager. Um, don't read too much ahead of time about what the play is. Uh, it's a really remarkable and somewhat inexplicable theatrical experience about a black family and about the white people who watch them. That's all I'll say. Interesting. All right. Uh, Jamila, what about you? What do you recommend today? I am recommending, uh, Whoopi Goldberg's series of children's books, the Sugar Plum Ballerinas. 
Uh, the these are chapter books for little people. Um, they were first released, or the first one came out back in 2008. They are absolutely adorable. If you have a new reader who is just getting to the point where they can get through a book that doesn't have any pictures or many pictures, um, and enjoys the, uh, you know, I don't know, your first chapter book is like a big deal, right? And so this was my little one's first chapter book. Um, it's super, super cute. It's about a little girl named Alexandria or Al, who moved from a little town in the south to Harlem. Um, her mother is a costume designer, so she's got this kind of fascinating, cool job. And her daughter wants to be a ballet, or rather, mom wants the daughter to become a ballet dancer. So she ends up in the Nutcracker School of Ballet, and she meets all these interesting people. She comes across folks from different parts of the world because she's in New York. And so she has uh, folks in her life who speak different languages and that are very different from her. And it's just super, super cute. And there's not a ton of books for little uh, Little people, you know, in that uh, six, seven, eight, nine range that are African-American or rather they're by African-American authors and feature primarily African-American cast of characters. Um, But I think it's a a really adorable uh, series for any child, particularly a child that has an interest in ballet um, or that has moved from one place to another and has to make new friends and adjust. And we really, really like it. My daughter um, has read my mother bought her two of them as a gift uh, a while ago before she could really get into them. And so she finished them and we just happened to be in a bookstore in our neighborhood yesterday and we saw two more of them and she just lit up. And so I highly recommend uh, the Sugar Plum Ballerinas series by Whoopi Goldberg. Of all people, Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> of, <laughs> all people. of all people. Great Whoopi job, Goldberg. Whoopi. Yes. Uh, great it's all so people. sweet and adorable. <laughs> uh, all right, Rebecca, what do you got? Uh, I'm going to recommend a podcast. Uh, if you have a kid who likes listening to things, watching YouTube videos, like a teenager or so, it's some, something fun you guys could listen to together and talk about. I'm really enjoying it. We're actually going to be reviewing it on my show, Crime Writers On, next week, and I'll give you an advance peek. I'm going to give it a thumbs up, although I'm not sure that everyone else on the panel is enjoying it as much as me, but I'm loving it. It's called um, Passenger List. It's a fiction podcast from the fine folks at PRX. It is about a missing plane. I, I sort of like that Malaysian airplane just sort of like went off the radar but it's about a woman who's played by Kelly Marie Tran of people were sexist toward her for being in a Star Wars movie fame and she's wonderful in the podcast who's trying to find answers about the missing plane because her brother was on it but it's got some great other people in the cast episode four came out yesterday and I was listening to it and I was like is this Patty Lapone in this podcast? And yes, it was in fact Patty Lapone in the podcast. Of all um, people. Of all people. <laughs> of all it's people. a really fun kind of like it reminds me a little bit of the TV show Lost. It reminds me a little bit of um other fiction podcasts that came out a few years ago when podcasting was really first getting its legs and becoming like a super medium. And it's just fun. And it would be a fun thing to sort of listen to either with your teen or preteen or have them listen to and then be able to talk about it because it's a little bit of a mystery involved. So I'm super enjoying it. It's called Passenger List and you can get it wherever you get all of your podcasts, I think. That is a great recommendation. I will listen to that with Lyra. She is a big fiction podcast fan. Um, All right. That is our show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, If you have a question you'd like to ask us on the air, once again, leave us a message. 424-255-7833. That's 424-255-RUDE as I have been to Whoopi Goldberg in this podcast. Uh, <laughs> or email us husband. at mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that woman and, and the fuck that guy guy. Uh, or email us at mom and dad at slate.com. Um, and also join us on Facebook. Just search for Slate Parenting. If you post a question there, we may also answer it on the show as well, especially if you like tag one of us and are like, hey, answer this on the show. Mom and Dad Are Fighting is produced by Jess Jupiter. For Jamila Lemieux and Rebecca Lavoy, I'm Dan Coyce of all people. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later. Hello, Slate Plus listeners. Thank you so much for being members of Slate Plus, Slate's membership program, which helps us do 